just after one on the night of June 19, 2012, Avery Newman drove the lonely dirt roads leading to her Churchville Chai Lai home. When she spotted flames engulfing a car parked on the side of the roadway, she punched 911 into her phone. 911, what's your emergency? There's a fire. This car is burning. I'm pulling over. Are you near the corner of Stony Point Road, ma'am? Yes. Everything is up, covered in flames. Please hurry. Do you know if anyone's inside, ma'am? Ma'am, do you know if anyone's inside? In under three minutes, Churchville police arrived to find their answer. A charred body lay curled up inside the trunk. You want to know how to fight a criminal charge? You challenge every piece of evidence. And you leave it to them to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. And just one look over the specifics of this case from an outsider perspective, you can tell that it's going to be one hell of an upward battle for the prosecution team. Severe lack of proper documentation, a contaminated scene, chain of custody flat out ignored with evidence either lost or dispersed God knows where. Folks, this is what we would call a grade A nightmare. I'm in the passenger seat next to a special agent with over 20 years of experience working crimes against children cases. Her name is Molly Amberg. She's a veteran of the Special Victims Unit out of the Eastern District. When most people think of New York, the first thing that comes to mind is the thriving metropolis known as Manhattan. The last image someone probably pictures is Rochester, New York, a mere six-hour drive upstate. One of the United States' original boomtowns, Rochester is the birthplace of Kodak, Xerox, and the home of the ever-popular garbage plate. Devastating snow flurries each winter aside, Rochester probably wouldn't rank on a tourist guide of must-see cities. I used to cover Section 5 sports for the city and the local newspaper, The Democrat and Chronicle. While the city has been named the murder capital of the state on more than one occasion, homicide, abduction, greed, lust and rape rarely found itself firmly at the intersection of high school sports. The particular phone call that Molly received the summer of 2012 detailed a violent case that was unlike anything she's ever heard before. Two gunshots to the back of the head and multiple wounds across the upper torso of nude body. The victim was believed to be stuffed into the trunk of the abandoned Mercedes-Benz to the tune of over 72 hours. Amberg is reading the crime report. Many questions remain with each piece of evidence providing a small glimpse into the circumstances of what led to that fateful night. We do believe that there's much more to the story that hasn't been presented yet. And from the beginning, we knew something was off with the handling of this case. With the public's help, there's still a glimmer of hope that justice will prevail. And in some ways, we're still just getting started. From the Rochester Herald and Layer TV, this is the AAU Murders. I'm Banks McVally. In the winter of 2008, 
Virginia Collins sat in the stands of a heated basketball game. Her son, Jake Collins, was the center of everyone's attention. Watching footage from that night, it's clear to see why. 45 points, nine assists, and 10 rebounds with four seconds remaining and the game on the line. The ball found its way into Jake's hands. He crosses right and then hop steps into the lane and fires up a prayer. It goes in, and like usual, Virginia and her sister Patty were the loudest in the gym. Virginia Collins has deep brown eyes, a natural shortcut, and a vibrant glow that highlights her cheekbones. A seasoned career woman, Virginia struggled to find an appropriate work-life balance. Thank God for her sister, who helped fill in the gaps whenever life got too hectic. If her three kids were number one in her life, being the first African-American woman to reach an executive position at Eastman Kodak was a close second, and Jake's basketball ruled whatever else was left. Men became an afterthought altogether, especially after her second marriage crumbled. So meeting a man by the bleachers was the last thing she expected, especially at her age. After the game, I usually wait around in the gym for the boys and a couple of us parents catch up. Nothing too crazy. But on that night, there's this guy. He's white and he's kind of like hanging back, you know, standing off to the side. My friend nudges me and goes, he's totally checking you out over there. After what Virginia described initially as an awkward stare-off, the man approached. And I'm thinking, oh no, here he comes, tattoos and all, but he was a gentleman with Southern charm. He said he was a recruiter from Kearney and that he was interested in working with a talent like Jake. So I thought, interesting, seems like a good guy. He handed me his card, I exchanged back, and I didn't think anything else of it. Liam Cambridge had long flowing blonde hair and a baby face to match, with a smile that could break down the bars to anyone's captive heart. He was pale, lean, athletic, and built like a small forward from the 1980s Celtics. When he said he'd be in touch, he meant it, and Facebook was his method of choice. Well, it started with a few likes here and there. Then came the comments under my photos. Some of me, others were under basketball videos of Jake and the twins. He looked like a playboy, but his compliments were always respectful. And he had this sense of humor that stood out to me. Like he joked about the Buffalo Bills and how pitiful they were playing. And I said, hey, now I am a struggling fan over here. He goes, that's a shame. Me too. At least now I know someone else as foolish as me. For weeks, the two hit it off, but the majority of their interactions remained online. So I suggested catching a game together one day, and he goes, oh, I would love to go. If we plan on facing the agony of a cold game at Ralph Wilson together, we should bring the kids. Plus, I would love to meet the twins. I thought, this guy may actually be into me. But then there's the little voice in the back of my mind that's like, there's no way. I'm probably old enough to be your mother. The flirting back and forth on Facebook died down after some time, and Virginia settled back into her usual routine of work, kids, and basketball. She lived in Chai Lai, a quiet suburb about 20 minutes from downtown Rochester. Our neighborhood was pretty peaceful and the schools were good. The kids really enjoyed living in Chai Lai, which was the most important thing to me. Virginia took the rare day off and picked up Thomas and Stephanie, her four-year-old twins and hurried over to Jake's varsity championship game against Rush Henrietta. Jake Collins was 13, six foot three with the length of a young Kevin Durant. Despite his height and natural skills on the court, he looked like a baby amongst young men. 
That is, until anyone saw him play. Word spread about the unique eighth grader, and soon Jake was filling gyms and courting offers from D1 programs. And no one was more focused on Jake this night than Liam Cambridge. Virginia spotted Liam sitting in the stands directly across from them. He cheered every time Jake scored, but mostly he wrote in his notebook during the game. Virginia wore a cute top from Lane Bryant and Red Bottoms, her makeup from Sephora. Usually I'm rushing to get off work, so normally I put on something modest and comfortable. So I was glad I decided to get dolled up for once. To impress Liam? Sure, I mean, I wasn't certain, but I had a hunch he'd show up to the game. Truthfully, the whole town showed up. The gym was packed, local news and all. In the end, Jake's team lost the championship game. Here's a post-game clip from Marty Taylor, Jake's uncle and head coach of the Spartans. Our boys played incredible. I couldn't ask for anything more. And boy, was Jake special. Your nephew led the way with 26 points, 11 assists, and 12 rebounds. It was a sixth triple-double of the season. You got that right. And don't forget, he's the youngest out there, playing his heart out every single night. Mark my words, we'll be back next year. That's a promise. But after the game, it was Liam who stepped in to cheer up both Jake and Virginia. He offered to take them to Bill Gray's for hot dogs and ice cream. And of course, they all agreed. They needed something to take their minds off the loss. Liam had a way of getting through to Jake. You know kids half listen when adults start preaching, but for some reason, he took Liam's feedback seriously. Here's Jake. To be real, he was just cool. Like, he balled too and he wasn't much older than me, so we just got each other. He had this Michael Myers tattoo and we used to joke that it meant we were killers on the court. I was like a sponge when he was spitting knowledge about the game and shit. He asked Jake what he wanted out of life beyond basketball, which impressed me. And when I shouted, school first, Liam backed me up 100%. When I saw Jake fighting back a smile, I knew he'd be all right. I was confident he'd take more losses and use them as learning experiences moving forward. I hugged Liam and thanked him because kids do have a hard time processing a loss, especially in a close game. I mean, we all do. Liam was outgoing, charming, and extremely well-read and knew all the right things to say. After the kids went to bed, Liam asked if they could talk a while longer. Virginia agreed, unable to resist his strong jawline and hazel green eyes. They sat outside on the front porch and talked about everything under the sun. He just turned 27 and was unmarried with no kids. He said he had a property in Savannah, Georgia and was looking to invest in more real soon. He also told Virginia he spent his early 20s playing basketball professionally in Europe before committing his life to education. He wove together grand stories of turning around struggling schools and went on at great length about his passion for helping out children from the inner city. His five-year plan, open his own charter school. He even hinted at Virginia one day joining his school board. I thought, wow, this guy really is genuine. Did his age bother you at all? At first, I was a little apprehensive, but he was so mature and focused. Plus, he wanted to know all about me, and I could tell he actually listened and cared about what I had to say. Really? Yes. And you know how guys are these days with their phones? He never once texted or even looked at his phone while we were talking. His eyes were locked on mine, which I appreciated. It was like I was a jewel in his eyes. 
Virginia's last string of boyfriends after her divorce left a sour taste in her mouth. The guys were losers, some unemployed, but Liam was different. He was driven and determined on helping out the community. He joked that together they could change the world. He said he wanted nothing more out of life than to make a difference with a beautiful soul. Then he kissed me. Right there on the porch? Yes. He wanted to come in, pour a few drinks, and watch a movie. Virginia thought it best to take things slow, so she gave him a rain check, and to her surprise, Liam wasn't mad at all. Once again, he was the ultimate gentleman. He kissed me on the cheek and said he'd be in touch. At first, I wondered if I made a mistake. I literally went upstairs, screamed into my pillow, and played John B. You know the song. Don't listen to what people say they don't know about you and me. Something like that. The next few days, Virginia found it difficult to focus on her work. She graduated with a dual degree in business and engineering from the Rochester Institute of Technology. She landed an internship at Kodak in 1980 that led to an entry-level job with a salary of $31,000. This was enough to afford a middle-class life with a house and a nice car. Virginia spent the next 30 years fighting up the corporate ladder. I'm a black woman, so it's been hard. My colleagues made it quite clear that Fortune 500 was a man's world. Virginia's trajectory changed forever in 1992 when she attended an event on diversity sponsored by the company. At the meeting, a coworker asked a top-tier executive a question. Why all of a sudden was there a push for diversity? And the guy shied away from addressing the elephant in the room. It was like he was scared of saying black people or the word woman. I said, oh no, 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 this is absurd, completely unacceptable. So I challenged him right then and there. The unfriendly exchange between the two led Virginia to believe her days at Eastman Kodak were over. Instead, she was promoted to the C-suite and put in charge of diverse initiatives for the company, a role she kept well into the new millennium. The goal was to become CEO one day. I guess we'll never know now. When one looks around Virginia's office at her home in Webster, you'll be enamored with the walls highlighting the many accolades Virginia has earned over the years. A collection of Kodak's once famous line of cameras like the historic Super 8 and other relics fill the shelves next to her desk. As I browse, I'm reminded not only of a tale of disruptive technology, but of the historic fall of Kodak. Some blame bad business practices. Others point to the company's inability to adapt to the digital age. So many memories made there, that's for sure. Virginia's younger sister, Cheryl, grabbed lunch with her a few days after the kissing incident on the porch. She was open to hearing about her sister's love prospects. From what she's told me, his whole approach just seemed odd. He's a young guy that pops up at a basketball game, and all of a sudden he has interest in my sister. I told her, take it slow, find out what his motives are. I said, you know what, maybe you're right. I'm super busy anyway. I can be bad all by myself, you know? I, I think that's what the saying is, or whatever. So she made a plan to ghost Liam. But before she could even put her plan in motion, he texted her a photo from his time working in Africa with child refugees. One text led to more. And before she knew it, they were texting all hours of the day. He was so cute. And the kids, oh my God. How could I ever ignore a guy like that? He worked with refugees in Africa. 
I was not willing to stop talking to Liam all because of a silly kiss and a notion planted in my head by Cheryl. A kiss that I wanted anyway. They started going on dates, and although Liam never offered to pay, Virginia didn't mind. She knew teacher salaries could be difficult and her tastes were expensive. Virginia always picked Liam up and dropped him off at a variety of spots around town. She never saw his home, and when she asked about the cars he bragged about having, he came up with excuses. Well, he had a black Audi, not certain the year, but I knew that much because of the screensaver on his phone. He said the car was in the shop getting some work done. After a while, I just stopped asking him about it. In no time, he thanked her for changing his life for the better and would tell other couples they met on dates how he wanted to spend the rest of his life with her. One night, they caught a classic replay of Titanic at the local drive-in. He goes, no way I'm letting you float on that doorframe alone while I freeze to death. No way in hell. If I go down, I'm bringing you with me. Liam began driving Virginia's Mercedes-Benz to pick Jacob from basketball practice, giving her freedom to take care of things she often put off, like dentist visits, doctor checkups, and grocery shopping. One afternoon, the Mercedes screeched around the corner and into the school's parking lot, well beyond the legal speed limit. The car stereo was so loud, it caught the attention of Virginia's sister, Patty Taylor, a current teacher at the school and wife to the varsity coach. Patty recalls her first interaction with Liam after knocking on the window of the Mercedes. I asked Jake, who the hell is that in my sister's car? I thought, oh hell to the no, my nephew is not about to get in the car with this stranger. The boy looked two whole days out of college and I could tell he was smoking too. Why did you assume he was smoking? For starters, his eyes were red. And he seemed to think my questions were some type of joke, saying, yes, ma'am, this, sorry, ma'am, that. Finally, I just asked his ass, little boy, are you high? Because you can go on somewhere with that fake politeness. Virginia and her sisters were always close. Growing up, they knew everything about one another. Well, they did until the day Liam arrived. We don't keep secrets from each other either, so that day was like a smack in the face. I made him roll the windows down again. This time I asked, so how long have you been taking advantage of my sister? And he had the nerve to say, excuse me, ma'am, but I think you have the wrong impression. And I don't know you or why you're giving me a hard time, but I'm just trying to help my sweetie pie out. Patty was livid and she couldn't believe her ears. Did he just call Virginia sweetie pie? Things only went further downhill when Liam sarcastically asked, And who are you again? Who am I? I wanted to say, who the fuck are you? Are you saying bolting my ass into that gym to grab Marty and by the time we came back outside, the Mercedes was gone. I took Jake home my damn self. And boy was I going off. That white boy had me fucked the hell up. But I got the time today. I couldn't wait to tell Virginia what happened. Virginia knew she should have given Patty the heads up, but blowing things out of proportion came across as childlike, given the situation. She was embarrassed and apologized to Liam, brushing it off to Patty's overprotective nature. Virginia was the middle child, and her past choices in men have always been less than ideal. The scumbag she attracted lied, cheated, and stole from her. 
Over time, her sisters grew into bulldogs, ready to take down any asshole who gave off an inkling that he may harm her. I just changed the subject whenever Patty brought up Liam and soon she gave up. It's my business anyway. Virginia was part of the core team instrumental in setting up the Kodak Easy Share as the new holiday must have. The camera's success set Virginia up for a lucrative end of the year bonus. Liam took the good news like a child on Christmas day and suggested Virginia do something major to celebrate. Those plans took on a life of their own when Liam took Virginia touring around new housing developments. The outcome? They purchased a seven bedroom estate just outside of Webster. Liam said he wanted something that we could share and call our own. Of course I agreed. It doesn't take much to convince me. The new home was super close to Bishop Kearney High School, the school where Liam told Virginia he just got hired as a middle school teacher. I thought, okay, perfect. He was really happy and so was I. The mortgage was more than a few thousand dollars a month, which Virginia covered in full with her bonus. After she signed the paperwork, Liam promised to help with half the monthly payments as soon as he got back on his feet and his finances in order. Liam telling me that he needed to get back on his feet was a little strange to me at first, just because he always said he had money saved away from his playing days in Europe and that he had other properties in different states. Despite the red flags, Virginia pressed forward and put everything from furniture to repairs done on the new house into her name and onto her credit cards. They made a plan. Liam would live in the home until Jake and the twins finished out the current school year. Then Virginia and the kids would join him right before Jake started ninth grade. She'd rent the Chilai home afterwards. Liam worked at Kearney, so he'd bring Jake home from practice, then pick up the twins, which was a relief. My sisters never gave him a chance. They didn't see how he saved me a boatload of time after work just by taking care of things I was too busy to do. You know, groceries and simple stuff like that. Also, he was such a good listener. I remember telling him, I don't know how you put up with me and all my drama. I'm such a problem child. Liam had plans of his own. He wanted to use Jake as leverage to weasel his way onto the Carney coaching staff. He figured Jake being the top prospect in Rochester had to mean something. Still, Virginia knew better than to tell her sisters about her plan to move into the new home in Webster with Liam. She already knew what would come out of their mouths. They'd accuse Liam of taking advantage of her. They'd say she didn't have the kid's best interest at heart and that she was letting her emotions cloud her judgments. Here's on Patty. I told her, you're not Stella, and that boy sure as hell ain't no damn Tay Diggs. She gonna slip up and say that they may have gone on more than a few dates. I knew Virginia wasn't telling me the whole damn story. Shit, if all it took was a Southern accent, she should have entertained a black guy who claimed he was Andre 3000's cousin from Bingo. And this conversation was after the incident at the school with Liam driving your sister's Mercedes for Jake? Yeah, a month or two after that. And I told her I didn't want to see bootleg Brad Pitt anymore or I was going to have to get Marty involved. I mean, seriously, though, what sort of scumbag needs a woman to provide for everything? If you can't bring nothing to the table, then where are you going to sit? Simple as that. One day, while moving in furniture to the new house, Liam made a suggestion. He wanted to spend more one-on-one -on -one time with Jake. 
I thought, that's good. Because if my kids approve of him, then that's really all I need to be comfortable with being with this guy. Here's Jake. At first, my mom was happy, and I can't even sit here and act like her happiness didn't make us feel better. She did everything for me and the twins. We didn't want for anything. So I was okay with her doing something for herself for once. You had a lot of changes coming your way too, with the move to a new school district and everything. I was hitting high school as a ninth grader, so my focus was mainly on getting better at ball, amongst other things. Ball and girls. <laughs> yeah, that too, but school over everything. For real, that's always been my number one. As Liam enacted his plan of spending more time with Jake, he wowed Jake with his moves when they played pickup at the downtown YMCA. He was a natural shooter. I mean, old boy was pulling up from everywhere. <laughs> he always wore these dusty-ass Jordans. I mean, they were falling apart. And one day I was like, man, we need to get you some new pair of kicks. And he was like, nah, man, you don't know about these. Back in my day, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, boy, stop. You're not even that much older than me be talking crazy saying back in my day. Did you support their relationship? It was just like spending time with an older brother, you know? It never felt like someone who was talking with my mom. As the two bonded, one thing became clear. Jump shooting came natural to Liam, and it was the one area he promised to help Jake improve in. Jake was a bully to the rim, and his dunking ability was unmatched for his age. Think Derrick Rose meets a young Vince Carter. But with three-pointers revolutionizing the NBA, Jake hoped to add three-point specialists to his repertoire. He was one of those guys who just got it. Not super old school and all preachy like most coaches. He wanted to increase my exposure on social media to make me a trending topic as the best ninth grader in the world. And it didn't hurt that he knew some of the best balls in the NBA either. Liam bragged about being well-connected. He had pictures shaking hands with some of basketball elite in bottle sections of clubs and courtside at NBA games. A few days before Easter, Uncle Marty called Jake and a few of his teammates and invited them to his annual tryouts for the spring season of AAU. With national showcases set for July, everyone knew a breakout season was on the horizon for Jake. Virginia and the kids drove over to Brockport College where Marty was hosting the tryouts. Liam decided to tag along. Here's Uncle Marty. Yo, my first impression of this guy was, damn, this kid is one cocky-ass motherfucker, and I'm not one to pass judgments on folks either. Mind you, I have to hear my wife going off about this guy, like he's something terrible. But up until this point, I never knew what to say, because I never met him. That is, until that cold spring day during tryouts, right? Exactly. Liam came in, and right off the bat, he didn't speak to anybody. He just went to the bleachers, pulled out his phone, and put on his headphones. Now, I may be Jake's coach, but everyone who comes up in my gym is family, above everything. So the last thing I wanted to see was this prima donna trekking in this negative energy, like he was auditioning for some reality show. We had real shit to focus on, like getting these boys ready for tournaments. So I wasn't even about to entertain the little boy. Uncle Marty wasn't alone. The other coaches took Liam's behavior as off-putting as well, but... Virginia tried her best to keep the peace. To her, the focus should have been on basketball and not on her and Liam's relationship. How long we knew each other was no one's business but ours. 
To me, it was like, who cares if we've only known each other a couple of months? She might have succeeded had it not been for Aunt Patty. I heard a whole lot of mess. So around the second or third day of tryouts, I decided to pop up and question my sister in front of everyone. I was like, so, is this guy your boyfriend or what? You told me he wasn't. So if that's the case, then why is he here? Virginia didn't know what to say. She was never one for confrontation. That was a battlefield Patty knew better than anyone else. But Aunt Patty was far from done. If Liam was a former European basketball player, why was it so hard to find information online about his former team or the college he attended? Patty also brought into question his teaching experience. She vowed to expose Liam for a fraud. I felt betrayed. And for the life of me, I couldn't understand why my sister was going to such lengths to make me look like a fool in front of everyone. For the first time in her life, Virginia did the unthinkable. She clapped back at Patty, the woman who basically raised her. I called her a liar and asked if she was proud of the judgmental woman she saw looking back at her in the mirror every morning. Now, I've seen my mother and aunts argue many times, but nothing like this extreme. It looked like they were about to throw hands. Next thing I know, Liam is making his way towards the court and everything just hits the fan. Liam stepped to Aunt Patty, unleashing a barrage of profanities in the process. One thing you are not about to do is come for me and that seed of Chucky lying piece of shit accused me of being jealous. The fuck? He said I was after my little sister's wealth as if I didn't basically raise both Cheryl and Virginia. I'm the motherfucker that wiped the shit off of their ass. So I swung on his ass. It happened so quick. I saw Liam's head snap back. The hurtful things we were all saying to each other were uncalled for, but I didn't expect someone to swing. Next thing I know, Liam's charging at Patty. I said, not on my watch, motherfucker. When I tell you I bulldozed that white boy so fast, I bet he didn't even know what hit him. I would have killed him too, had it not been for Virginia and Coach Prince jumping in. Liam accused Aunt Patty of butting into my mom's personal life. I heard him say, uh, get this bitch away from me, or something to that effect. And at that point, my mom and all of us were just trying to get out of the gym because Uncle Marty started to beeline for his truck. And we all knew what that meant. What did it mean? Someone was about to get shot. <laughs> it's actually funny thinking back on it. Your uncle had a gun? Of course. Everyone knew that. They don't play. Uncle Marty made sure every vehicle in our family had the strap right in the glove compartment, including my mother. By the time Virginia, Liam, and the kids pulled out of the parking lot, emotions were at an all-time high. The whole ordeal was pretty scary, and for it to be a few days before Easter made me want to ball up and cry. Here's Patty. I couldn't believe she actually got in the car with him. Smack to the face or not, I'm your sister. And you don't pick someone you've known a few weeks over family. That's just some bird-ass shit. Something you don't never do. We didn't see Virginia or the kids at church Easter Sunday. They also skipped the family dinner we hold at our house every year. Just being honest, I was pretty sad that things got to the point where they no longer felt welcome around family. During the service, I prayed and got real with Jesus. And Jesus said, Patty, do better. Now, I'm not a fan of tension between me and my sisters, so I called Virginia to extend the olive branch. 
And how did that turn out? I was like, where are you? Then, of course, one thing leads to another, and we're arguing. The truth finally comes out, and she admits to purchasing a home with that fool. And they planned on living on the other side of Rochester? I just about lost my damn mind. Virginia hung up the phone, but before doing so, she told Patty that she was pulling Jake off of Marty's AAU team because Liam planned on starting his own. A few weeks pass following the Easter blow-up, and Virginia can't shake the feelings of regret. She desperately missed Patty, but didn't know how to approach her without risking another argument. To make matters worse, every year the family went on an end-of-the-school-year cruise. That summer, they would embark to Barbados. Would they welcome Liam, or would the trip further divide the family? Outside of Jake, the only other person willing to give Liam a chance was Virginia's father, Cliff. Liam was an all right guy to him. So we caught the Knicks game one day at a local pub downtown, right? We shooting the shit, and he was very knowledgeable about sports, and to my surprise, the business world. I I'm thinking to myself, though, so you mean to tell me this guy with the hoodie on with his eyebrows slashed like a black guy knows more about the financial markets in the Wall Street Journal than I do? No, sir. But I did think, though, you know, that he was a little bit too young for my Virgie. And I also knew she wasn't one to date anyone without there being, you know, a, a, like a unique quality to him. So I told Virginia later, and, and I said, um, anyone who covers three whiskey shots and a Budweiser for an old cat like me, he deserves a chance. But I also told her to take things slow because it takes time, you know, to learn who a person is. And if he show any signs of crazy, any signs of crazy at all, leave his ass be. Cliff wasn't always the perfect father. He spent more time in and out of bars than he ever did raising Virginia and her sisters. Despite this, she made it her mission to reconnect with her dad after having Jake. She always believed in second chances, and her close relationship with her father later in life is a direct reflection of that belief. My dad was also the one who gave me the courage to reach back out to my sisters. You know, to tell them I love them, but to also set up boundaries. No one had the right to tell me how to live my life. And if we all couldn't come to an agreement on that simple fact, then I would just have to keep my distance. Liam agreed with Cliff. Her business was her business. He promised to try to be more cordial when around her family. He said that he'd share his feelings with her before overreacting if another situation were to arise. Here's Patty. Cheryl called and convinced me to sit down with her in Virginia over lunch. The talk knocked some sense into me, and I admitted being in the wrong for how I handled myself. It's not my duty to give someone a step-by-step -step instruction manual on how to love my sister. I'm not letting no guy get between us, no matter how much of an ass he is. Did you ever meet with Liam to sort things out? I didn't have shit to say to him. I just wanted to be back with my nieces and nephews because I love them babies. And I knew we had a family cruise coming up, so I wanted to keep the peace. The week of the cruise, Liam sprung the idea of driving down the coast to the Miami seaport instead of flying with Patty, Cliff, and the others. He said, let's be adventurous. I want to please you. So, yeah, we packed up the Mercedes and took off down the highway. How long was the drive? A little over 21 hours. It was one hell of a trek. We stopped at a water park in the Poconos and spent two days at Myrtle Beach. The kids got two vacations in one, basically. 
Every chance he got, Liam expressed his love for Virginia. He told her he wanted to have a boatload of babies. She loved him back, but having more kids at her age would take some convincing. She also knew her family wouldn't approve of the idea. He was always such an energetic soul. I'm a tad more cautious, but I love seeing the passion in his eyes when he dreamed of what our life could be in a few years. Virginia was living the dream when they finally got on the cruise ship. She saw firsthand just how good Liam could be with Jake and the twins. He took initiative with the kids. I didn't even have to ask, and you know there is so much to do on carnival cruises. One minute he was working out in the sauna or playing ball on the top deck with Jake. The next he was taking the twins to the pool. I finally got to relax. As Virginia remembers it, Liam kept his promise to keep things mellow and chill with her family as well. I knew what people were thinking. There she goes again with her young, white boyfriend thinking she's better than everyone. But he didn't do anything wrong, so if they were mad about anything, then that was on them. One person in particular was furious. Marty Taylor, Patty's husband, her rational soundboard, decided to skip the cruise trip to Barbados altogether. He couldn't get over the betrayal of Virginia pulling Jake off of the AAU team. Yeah, we talked about having a sit-down with all the boys, Marty, Jake, and Liam, to see what sort of compromise could be made. Marty's my brother and has always been there for us, so I felt a conversation was the least I could do. She didn't expect what would happen next. You know, on cruises, the rooms are super small. So Liam suggested that he room with Jake and that I stay with the twins because they were so much younger. I mean, it made sense, and I didn't have any problem with it. I was in and out of Camp Carnival with them during the day while he was with Jake. Doing boy things? Lord, who knows? I figured they were bawling and training. They were out of my hair, and I had no reason to be watching them every moment. On the last night of the cruise, Virginia was in Jake and Liam's room collecting laundry and packing when she came across Jake's cell phone hidden under a pile of clothes. I wanted to smack him, you know, for him leaving his phone laying around. Phones are expensive, and I didn't want anyone to come in and steal it, so I put the phone in the laundry basket and continued cleaning. Later that night, when Virginia was sleeping, Jake's phone kept going off. Finally, she had enough and went to turn off the ringer. She was caught off guard by the name coming across the home screen. Liam Cambridge. I thought, well, this is weird. I had just spoken with Liam, so I knew he was going to the casino bar to drink with some guys from the Carolinas that he met on the boat. So I'm thinking, why on earth are you sending my son back-to-back messages at one in the morning? Did you turn off the phone? Well, that was my initial plan. I wasn't one to snoop around Jake's stuff. Plus, you know, he just became a teenager, and I respect things like that. Virginia doesn't remember exactly how she unlocked the phone and made her way into the message thread. There were messages. Too many to count. Inappropriate ones and pictures. Of? Nudes, but barely any replies from Jake. So I text back, why are you up? Then a dick pic came through. I screamed and threw the phone. The next few hours would prove to be the longest of Virginia's life. I just lay in bed and thought, oh my God, what on earth am I going to do? She didn't have to think long. It was Liam. 
He was pretty wasted, falling all over the place, so I let him in. And before I could even bring up the text and what happened, he started biting my neck. I said, wait, we're going to wake the twins. And he was like, let them watch. Next thing I know, he rips my panties off, my legs are in the air, and I'm screaming. My God, I was a complete mess. That man knew just what to do to me. So you guys had sex? Yes. And if I'm being honest, it was the best of my life. Virginia was conflicted. She loved the man who lay next to her. When Liam grabbed the magnum box and started motioning for round two, Virginia stopped him. I was just like, wait, we really have to talk. And that's when he put his finger against my lips and told me to close my eyes because he had something he wanted to get off his chest. And when I opened my eyes, there he was, completely naked, on one knee, holding a ring. And he proposed right there. Right there in that moment, and I said yes. I just saw so much love in his eyes. I knew he was the one. This was my moment to love again. Virginia and Liam celebrated with more sex. They had known each other for less than a year, and now they were engaged. Virginia didn't tell anyone about her engagement. But that wasn't the only secret Virginia was determined on keeping between her and Liam. That morning, she snuck out of bed and found Jake's discarded phone in the corner of the room. She grabbed it, turned it off, and walked to the top deck towards the front of the ship. Virginia took a deep breath and prayed for guidance from the God she knew and loved. Then, she tossed the phone overboard. On the next episode of the AAU Murders. Here it is, right here. I have a photo of the motherfucker's yearbook. His real name is William Cambridge Alexander, and he was hardly a basketball player, let alone a fucking pro player. Says right here when I search his name on Google that he didn't even last a year at Mississippi State. Now, what's even more suspicious was his short-lived teaching career in the Atlanta Public School District. In a colossal article highlighting his misconduct of the teachers, his name appears more than once. The AAU Murders was created by Corey Deshawn. Sound design and editing for this episode were done by the talented folks over at Resonate Recordings. Numerous voices lent their time and talents to make the AAU murders a possibility. Many thanks to Preston Scott as our narrator, Banks McVally, Ashley Robinson as Virginia Collins, Vivia Armstrong as Patty Taylor, Greg Mays as Marty Taylor, Brittany Darby as Cheryl Collins, Kennedy Porter as Jake Collins, Victoria Spadaccini as Molly Amberg, and Marcus Anthony as Cliff Collins. Without you all, None of this would have been possible. And thank you to the day ones, our listeners. If you want to reach out to us about this work, please feel free to follow us on Facebook, IG, and Twitter at AAU Murders, or check us out at www.aaumurders.com. Murders.com.